0: Amen. Well, we are in week number four of our Kingdom Minded series, and I have uh, thoroughly enjoyed this series, to be honest with you. I, uh, in my research and getting ready for this, um, I, I could talk on this for 50 weeks, I think, And but uh, we'll, we'll limit it. So, um, But I, I love just the idea of being Kingdom Minded. And so we've been looking, the, the first two weeks, really the first three weeks, uh, but especially the first two weeks were kind of big picture. Uh, God is our king, and he is a sovereign king. Amen? And he is a good king, different than all the other kings in our past, but he is a good king. The next week was nation under rule, where we are a royal priesthood, and we are under that rule. And then last week, uh, we talked about Saul thinking versus David thinking, and what a wonderful presence uh, that we had here yesterday or last Sunday. Uh, just a great time in his presence and um, and so how many spent spent uh, time in the Lord this week in His presence, especially after this last Sunday? Everybody raise your hand, even if you're, just raise your hand. Okay, good. Because when we are close to the Lord, when we get close to the Lord, uh, uh, that, that's that's how we grow in the Lord, by getting close to Him. And so, so that's been the last three weeks. Starting today, it's going to be, starting to get a little more practical, okay? So this week and in the next two weeks, a little more practical. We've been talking... Big picture, what is the kingdom of God and creation and all of this? This week and the next two weeks is a little bit more of, okay, now, now that, what do we do? Okay, so we want to be kingdom-minded, God is our king, we're the royal priesthood, like what do I do today? What do I do this week? Well, what are some of the things that I start to do uh, to become kingdom-minded? What does that look like in my life? What does it look like in the life of the church? What does it look like for us to do? And so that's going to be the next uh, three weeks um be kingdom minded i was i've been reading the past couple of months uh listening to some podcasts just trying to learn grow expand my mind right on on different things and um especially being you know new new pastor and, and wanting to grow in that uh i I've, I've been listening reading some books listening to some things not on purpose necessarily but there were have been some examples and some of the things that i'm reading about churches or pastors that very quickly gained a lot of followers or a lot of congregants and they became uh, big and had influence and things and then for whatever reason have fallen away. And I, I, I'm not going to name any pastors or, or churches, but it, it was important that they would tell their story so that churches like us who are growing and, and want to do things, we don't, I guess, become like that in the sense that we do not fall away. And so I'm I'm, I'm reading about these the. Pastors and, and churches and, and different things. And by the way, it is not all large churches, okay? The vast majority of churches are doing a fantastic job. We've got salvations that are coming, all these things. But there's just a, a few examples of some of these who, who, you know, shot up real quickly and then have fallen by the wayside a little bit. And one of the things that, or I guess the main thing that was kind of in common with all of them is, to put it simply, they took their eyes off Jesus, Okay? They took their eyes off Jesus and they began to look at other things. Uh, the bottom line wasn't salvations anymore. It was the bottom line was finances. Oh, so they took their mind off of what the Lord was doing and putting it over here. Or they put their um, they started focusing more on on uh, programs than people. Like programs took the priority over people. Or they were looking at their brand, the institutional brand. Like okay, but we've gotten so big, we have to protect the brand. And so some people got moved out of church, good people, things like this. And so basically, they took their eyes off Jesus, and they put their eyes on other things. Um, and what began to happen was, and this was the phrase that I, that I kept seeing over and over, was that a goodness culture had left the church, or a culture of goodness. And so that's what I've been really thinking about um, really the past couple of months, is that I want our church to have a goodness culture. Okay? A culture of goodness, where there are good things that are happening, but that we are good people growing. Does that make sense? That we are good people who are growing, and that's being kingdom-minded. And so I, I, I asked our staff this week, we had actually a really good conversation about how do we have a goodness culture in our church, and just talking about a couple of things that we are welcoming to all people, uh, that we show grace with others that we um, have forgiveness for everyone, um, and that we are outward-focused, not just inward-focused. And so we had some of these things, we had a good conversation about it. And I'm praying that we at Friendship Church that we have a goodness culture or a culture of goodness, that we keep our eyes on Jesus and that we have a goodness culture in us. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. If you didn't notice by our worship day, our worship team did a great job today. But we talked about the goodness of God pretty much all throughout worship. And then we're going to talk about it here uh, in the sermon. And so uh, I, I'm excited to see what God has for us. So if you if you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Titus chapter 3. It's at the end of the New Testament. Titus chapter 3. I'll get there in just a minute. I want to read a couple of verses before that. Uh, to get us settled in here, but Titus chapter 3, and I'll be there in just a moment, this idea of goodness came from the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, uh, we see that, that God is there and he's, and he's hovering, hovering above the waters and, and the darkness and all that, and then he says, let there be light, and he looked at the light and he called it what? He called it what? He called it good. Good. He created the light, and then he called it good. And then most of the days, he would create the stars and the sun and all this, the planets, and he would create the trees and the fish, and, and then he would call it good. So he planted this, or he or he created this, and then he called it good. And the reason, how, how do we know that it was good? Because it came from a good father. It came from a good creator. And how do we know that? Well, because, as we've talked about before, if evil or bad actually proves that there is a God, okay? Because if there is evil in the world, and that's one of the kind of the questions that, that people have, if there's a good God, then why is there so much evil in the world? Well, if there is evil, then you're saying that there is not evil, right? So if there is evil, then there is good, okay? So there is both of these things at play, and then if that's the case, then who determines what is good and evil? Because what may be evil for you might be good for me, and, you know, you want to you know, whack somebody to get them out of your way, okay? That might be good for you in the short term, but we can all agree that's not very good. So how is good and like who? Okay, so if there's good and evil, there has to be someone who maintains what is good and evil, and that's where God comes in. And so that's why we know that God is there. So as he's hovering above the waters, and verse 2 talks about how that there's confusion and that there's darkness, and then he creates light. So confusion and darkness is Bad, and so then when he creates light, he calls it good. So God can create good because he is good. It's a good time to amen. I got one. <laughs> Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good, okay? So if we it, we know that God is good because what he creates is good. And so in Genesis 131, he says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. All right, we're getting there. All that he had made is very good. First Chronicles 16, 34. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. How many of you would agree with that, that our God is good and that we give thanks to him? Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. David found this out. Taste and see That the Lord is good. Give it a try. Give it a shot. See what you think. And you will find that the Lord is good. James 1.17 Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father on the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good thing that comes to us, every good thing that comes to us is from above, because it's from a good God. it doesn't change like shifting shadows. He's not good one day and not good the next day. He doesn't change. But instead, he is good and all the perfect gifts that we receive are good and they are from a good God. So then what is, where do we come in? Okay? So aren't we good? Because if everything that he created is good and we are part of what he created, then we're good. And so we were created in the image of God, right? So that means that we are good. However, we have this sinful nature inside of us. And so left to our own devices, we tend to move toward the evil or the bad side, right? So is it, are we good or are we bad? Matthew chapter 7, verse 9. Which of you, if your son asks for a bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil thank you Jesus, (laughs) if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? So on some level, even though we are evil or bad or in this sinful nature, we understand what good is. Like we can be moral, we understand that we can do moral things apart from God, but goodness comes from God. And if Those of us who are evil can do some good things. How much more would a good God do good things for us? For those of you who think that there is no way that humans are bad, you have obviously never spent time with a toddler. Has that ever happened to any of you possibly? I would like the pictures, please. If you could email those to me this week, that would be great. Paul says in Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. He's taking, he's taking verses from all over the Old Testament, from Deuteronomy from Isaiah. No one is righteous, not even one. Then he continues in Romans 7. He says, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good but I cannot carry it out. Anybody ever been there before? This is when he goes on to say, I I don't do what I know I should do, and I I do what I know that I shouldn't do. We've all been there before where we're we're trying to do good, and maybe if we just try harder, then we can be gooder or something. And we just, we try our best to, to to do good. And We know to do good. It's not that our knower is broke. It's our doer that's broke. (laughs) Like we know, but then we got this doer part of us that has some trouble. And if Paul had some trouble, we're going to have some trouble as well. And then God talks in the Scripture about how even though you are evil, go out and do good. Well, how are we supposed to do that? He talks about it in James. He talks about it in Philippians. He talks about it in Ephesians where he says, go out and do good works. Okay, how about in Peter, when he says, be holy as I am holy. Well, how am I supposed to be holy? What is the standard that you're talking about here, God? More than just good works, be holy as I am holy? That is way up there. Now, how am I supposed to do that? That's like saying, you who have no wings, go fly. Okay? That's without drinking a Red Bull, too. Okay? So, you who have no scales and fins, go live underwater. Like, how do we do that? How, if we are not good, there's no good that dwells inside of us, then how are we told to go out and do good? How can we, how can we as imperfect people, create a culture of goodness and stay kingdom-minded? Well, let you asked. I don't know if you asked or not, but I'm glad you asked. So in Titus, he begins to talk about this. Now, there are several passages of Scripture that I could have chosen to use, but I looked at Titus because, well, a couple of reasons. First of all, Titus is a book... That a pastor is writing, who is Paul, to another pastor, and kind of telling them how to be a pastor. Here's some things that you preach, and here's some things that you teach, and here's some things to keep in front of the people at all times. And so I thought it, it was that it was good for us to do uh, that here today. Uh, it, so you're getting a sneak peek of kind of when pastors talk to each other. <laughs> this is some of the things that we talk about. Okay, we actually I, I had a, a lunch with a with a pastor, um, I assume a of God minister in our section on uh, Wednesday, I believe it was. And uh, so we got to talking uh, over some barbecue. It's fantastic. Cooper's Barbecue, you ever been? Come on, that's good. Anyway, um, I it, uh, it had a great time. We talked for two and a half hours, and we t- I talked about my church, he talked about his church, and I, I got to be honest with you, uh, you guys made it pretty easy because I told him that we have some good people here at Friendship Church. I'm not just saying that, okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, you're pretty good. Said that's at least what Pastor said. Okay, so I I I did. I I talked and we talked about some things and and you know he helped me with a couple things or you know how how do you handle this situation and so we kind of had all these things. But but I was able to say that we have good people in Friendship Church and so I I am so thankful thankful for it. So I I didn't have to lie. I told him good things about you. Um, But it was but it is interesting. I I I left the conversation felt like I grew a little bit just because we were able to talk and help and, and, and you know, here, here's what I've done and things like that. And so when two pastors get to talking about uh, about some things, that's some of the things they talked about. So here's Paul and he's talking to Titus and in verse uh, or in chapter one, sorry, he, just to kind of give you a, a, an overview of, of what they're talking about here, in verse seven it says, a church leader, and this is not in your notes, so don't worry about it up there, Ms. Dina, uh, a church leader is a manager of God's. Household. That is a big responsibility for leaders in the church. Amen? So, those of you who are leaders in the church, it's not just pastor he's talking to, he's talking to pastor, but leaders in the church, you are a manager of God's household. Now, you know, your house, you can do whatever you want to to your house, okay? You can paint the walls blue if you want to. I don't know, whatever you want to do. Manager of God's house right here, this is God's house. We're going to be kingdom-minded with what God wants us to do. And so as a leader, we have to take that job seriously, don't we? Because the members of the church, the people who come to this church, they deserve, if you will, or we are responsible to them, that we are good managers of God's house. So he must live a blameless life. Once again, there's that standard Live a blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker, violent, or dishonest with money. We don't want leaders who are dishonest with money, right? That's a big amen. Uh, That are not quick-tempered. That are not these things. So Paul's telling Titus, this is what you teach the leaders. This is God's house right here. So we're going to treat it right. Then he goes into chapter 2 where he's talking about how the older men, especially, be a good model for the younger men. And the older women be a good model for the younger women. And so he talks about these things. Teach the older men to exercise self-control. Be worthy of respect. It's not just commanding respect, but be worthy of that respect. So he's telling the, the older men to do this. Have sound faith. Be filled with love and patience. We want leaders who are filled with love and patience. Then he's talking to the older women. Live uh, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. they must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. What in the world be heavy <laughs> he 's like railing on this. Do not be heavy drinkers, but he tells specifically the ladies don 't go off gossiping and drinking okay <laughs> we, we don 't want that no no <laughs> don 't go to brunch and be gossiping and drinking the whole time okay that 's not what we want in in leaders and that 's not what we want in the older ladies of the church in the same way encourage the young. Men, to live wisely, yourself must be an example by doing good works of every kind. So he, he's, he's telling the people that this goodness is not just for you to keep in here and try to be good, but it's for others as well. You're good to be an example to other people. Then we finally come to chapter 3, which we're going to land on here today. Titus chapter 3, and for those of you who have titles in your Bible for certain chapters or sections. Mine says, do what is good. I think that's probably a good place to look at if we're talking about goodness here. So, Titus chapter 3, verse 1, it says, remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. We're off to a good start. <laughs> to submit to the government and its officers, they should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. Listen, we're always going to have authority over all of us. Amen. And some of those authority whether that's the government, whether that's pastor, whether that's our mom or dad, whether that's our boss. Sometimes you're going to have good authority and sometimes you're going to have bad authority. You look at David last week, he had bad authority. He 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 served under Saul for a number of years. But what Paul is saying here is that you be ready to do good. Whether you are under a good leader or a bad leader, you get ready to do good. David was under a bad leader but chose to do good. Chose to be kingdom-minded. So it's not all our father's fault. (laughs) It's not all our dad's fault or our pastor's fault or our Sunday school teacher's fault. Not all that. Okay, He's expecting us... To do good. Then he continues, they should be obedient. Okay, I'm sorry, verse 2. They should not slander. He says it again. They should not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. So he mentions it again, to not slander each other. And actually, Paul talks about this in, in most of his books. People who do this, Okay. That stuff causes dissensions, and it's not right. Especially when you're heavy drinking alongside it, okay? (laughs) But not to do this. This this kind of stuff right here. It says, do not slander anyone and avoid quarreling. We'll get there there in a second. But here's some stuff to do. Remember, we're talking about practical stuff to do. What what is kingdom-minded? What are things that we do, okay? Instead, they should be gentle. We should have... Uh, leaders, people in the church that are gentle with other people, that they don't, they don't, they don't react all the time with this abrasiveness, with this, uh, well, you know, I'm the leader, so you have to do what I say. There's, the, there's a gentleness to this when we lead, and they should tr- show true humility to everyone. We talked on Wednesday night. Um, about this. Which, by the way, if you're not the adult Bible study on Wednesday night, what what are y'all even doing, okay? There's nothing good on TV. Come on Wednesday night. Um, where We talked about how Jesus showed true humility because he was God, okay? He didn't have to do what he did, but he took on the limitations of being a human, came down, and emptied himself out for us. That's true humility. And then it says, had the same attitude as Jesus had. So there's this there's this humility that we have as the body of Christ and those who are growing in the Lord. So how do, like how do we do this? Because okay? well, remember, we're not good. We have good in us. We have, a, we, have a, we have a lean because we're made in the image of God, but we also have a lean because we have a, a, a sinful nature. So how, how, do, how do we balance all of this? You're telling us to do good. How are we supposed to do all of this? Verse 3. Once we, and Paul is putting himself in this, so I'll put myself in this, we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you remember the day before Jesus? And did we walk like this? We absolutely walked like this. We were foolish, and we were disobedient, and we were slaves to lusts and pleasures. We cared about what we cared about, not what anybody else, and certainly not what God cared about. We were full of evil, full of envy, and we didn't like each other. We simply didn't like each other. And so, what Paul's doing is he's, he's wanting Titus to remind, remind the people of where we came from. How are we able to show humility and gentleness to others while they're learning how to be a Christian? Because we should remember back when we weren't very good and what we do is we kind of turn down the heat, okay? Those of you who are cooking something, you got, the, you, got the, you got the stew boiling and, you know, water's running over or whatever, so what you do, you turn down the heat and it's not quite, okay? Well, Satan loves it when everything's bubbling, okay? Satan loves it when there's chaos and then the heat's on and, and then God says, just turn down the heat just a little bit, okay? Turn down the heat. We're not going to be in order or disorder or chaos, And so we turn down the heat on that. So then, this is what he says in verse 4. How are we able to be good? But when God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins. Giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. We lived right here, over here, away from God, and we did. We were envious, and we hated each other, and we slandered, and we gossiped, and we did all this stuff. And this is the way we lived over here, and we re, we reacted unkindly, and we reacted rude, and this is the way that we lived our life. But then God changed us. Okay. He changed us with his goodness, his kindness and love, and now we live over here, moving closer to the Lord. He changed us, like what David said last week, created me a pure heart. Don't just bandaged up the heart that I have over here. I want to be a completely different person. Amen? A completely different person. I used to live over here, and this is the things that I did. But now, because of his righteousness, not ours, his righteousness now fills us up. So now we act completely different. And in fact, these things are reprehensible to us. We don't want to act this way anymore. We don't react the way that we used to. We don't answer every meet me, with a meet me, right? It's different. We react to people completely different. This is the way we used to live. God, because of his righteousness, not our goodness, because of his righteousness, changes us into this right here. And now we're living here, and we're growing closer to the Lord in that way. We're a completely different person. He's washed our sins away. New birth, new life through the Holy Spirit. Man, I'm preaching good. Where are y'all at this morning? Verse 6, he generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Generously. That's not a dabble, do you? Okay. He's generously pouring it out. Pouring out the Spirit among us. Because of His grace, He made us right in His sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. He's poured that out on us. By the way, not because we deserved it. Remember, we acted horrible. We acted like this over here. We didn't deserve any of this. But He poured out His goodness, His righteousness his love, his mercy, his grace, and now we're a new person. A new person living for him. As you draw close to Jesus, his goodness fills your life. So how is it that those of us who were born in a sinful nature, how can we go out and do good things when we were this right here? Because we're drawing closer to Jesus who is good, we've already established this, and the more that that God gets inside of us, the gooder we are. I'm saying that word. The gooder we are, the better we are. How His goodness fills us up to overflowing. So the closer we get to the Lord, the more we spend time with Him. That's how we grow in the Lord. That's how we're able to do good things. It, it, It matters who you spend time with. It matters. Listen, I, for 40 years of my life, never had a desire to buy cowboy boots. Ever. It was not in me. I moved back to Texas and I start hanging out with Russell Marler and Billy Shows, and I bought some cowboy boots, okay? I got nothing to wear them with, I have nothing but golf polos, but I, I got boots, though, and I'm wearing boots, Thanks guys. <laughs> it matters. Who you hang out with. Listen, didn't we tell our 13-year-olds this? Be careful who you spend time with because you're going to be just like them. Well, why did we forget it when we became adults? No, if if the advice is good enough for your 13-year-olds, it's good enough for us too. Who do you spend time with? If you spend time with people like this, then you're going to act like this. If you come over here and, first of all, spend time with other people like this, but you also spend time with the Lord, His goodness is going to get inside of you. It matters who you spend your time with. It matters. I'm going to spend my time with Jesus. I found that trying to become more like Jesus yields far better results than trying to become a better me. Have you heard this better me? I just want to be the best version of me. I don't. I don't want to be the best version of me. Okay, I want to be like Jesus. I don't want to be like me. Me, I'm awful. I want to be like him the the best version of me me on my best day is still living over here in this camp okay because the next day when the coffee's gone the goodness is gone okay my life should not be determined be determined the goodness of my life on how much coffee is left okay that's not how it should be how it should be is how close i am to a good good god so the, the, the best of me, living my best life or, or, or becoming the, the better me. I don't want to be a better me. I want to be like Jesus. I choose to be like Jesus. Verse 8. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to insist on these teachings so that all who trust in God will devote themselves to doing good. These teachings are good and beneficial for everyone. He says, I insist on you teaching these things, okay? I'm just letting you know right now, this, this example that, that I'm kind of having here today of the bad life and the good life, you're going to see that a lot over the next thousand years that I'm here, okay? So however long I'm here, this is, that's going to be it because I'm going to insist on these teachings. If you, This is how you were, this is how you are now with God. I'm going to say that a lot, so get ready for this example, okay? Because that, I'm, Paul told Titus, insist on teaching this. Push this. Let them know. And sometimes you come to Sunday and you're like, yeah, I, I, I agree because I'm over here. And then there's going to be some Sunday that you're going to come, and you're going to be like, oh, boy, I'm leaning on this side a little bit too much. He's right. i got to go back over here on this way. That's what's going to be taught. That's what, that's what we're going to teach. We want to try to make ourselves Make ourselves better. We're the ones that got ourselves in this mess. Most people I find don't want to make themselves better. They want the world to be more forgiving. Have you noticed this? When you do something wrong, and they point it out, their the response is, "Well, where's all the forgiveness? Where's the grace? Well, how about where's the doing better? <laughs> it's like it's not on. It's not. Don't shoot the messenger here. Okay." We need messengers in our life that say, hey, you need to pick it up a little bit. What's going on? In our making ourselves better, man, we've become so soft, haven't we? We've become so soft. Like, like any, any sort of, of critical thinking or any sort of constructive criticism is seen as hating on or seen as being unforgiving or ungraceful. In, in fact, it's actually uh, a lot of grace. It's letting you know you're headed in the wrong direction. Let's turn back this way. So strive to be better. Can we strive to be better? Practical stuff. This is kingdom-minded stuff. Verse 9, Do not get involved in foolish discussions about spiritual pedigrees or in quarrels and fights about obedience to Jewish laws. These things are useless and a waste of time. Tell us what you really think there, Paul. Don't listen, don't be, don't get involved in foolish discussions. Like, what does it matter? They they are a waste of time. Now, if you want to discuss some stuff, we can discuss some theology or we can discuss how we react to people in this world. and yeah, we can discuss this. We're not going to fight about it. We're not going to fight, especially the, the method, not the, not the main thing. We're, like We're not going to fight about stuff. It's a waste of time. These quarrels and these fights, listen, we are on the same team. We are on the same team. And when we start bickering and fighting, it, 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 we take our eyes off of Jesus. We're not kingdom-minded anymore. And now where, well, I prefer this. Now we get into a realm of preferences. Or I, I would rather that this happen or that this happen. And those things do not matter. They do not matter. And once again, these quarrels, they pop up. Listen, I've said this before. I think I've said it here. But it's one of the things that I, that I say often, that disagreement does not mean disunity. Or at least disagreement doesn't have to lead to disunity. Disagreement does not mean disunity. Have you ever been married for more than five seconds? Then you will disagree, amen? Are, are, are you disunified? Is, after every argument, are you getting divorced? No, of course not. Because disagreement doesn't mean disunity. You, you can disagree about a myriad of things. Me and Becky, I'll say, I want to go to Papacito's. Boy, Papacito's sounds good. Chicken fajitas and that butter sauce, it's calling my name pretty much every day, okay? That's my favorite. And I'll say, hey, let's go to Papacito's. She says, I don't want to go to Papacito's. So we don't go to Papacito's. (laughs) That's how it works in our house. So we go somewhere else. So anybody who wants to go to Papacito's, I'm available, and she's not. Now, that's a simple one, but then there's also some bigger ones. You're raising kids. One of you thinks that one is being too harsh on the kid. The other one thinks that you're being too soft on the child. You know, you can't grind them a whole week for that. And the other parent is only a week? I was thinking three months, right? There's disagreement, but that doesn't mean disunity. You see what I'm saying? You are still unified. You talk, you discuss, you form your plan of action, and then you go. And you trust in Jesus, right? Trust that Jesus is leading you. We can disagree, and listen, there's how many people in this church, and that's how many opinions that we have. But we're trying to create a goodness culture here, not a preference culture, but a goodness culture. And so when we start getting more of us, or more of God in us, and we have goodness coming out, then we're going to turn down the heat on some possible disagreements. If you're one like, who is he talking about? I'm not talking about anybody, okay? I don't have anybody in mind. I'm not talking about anybody, but I'm talking to all of us, right? We're not going to allow that to keep us from moving forward and being kingdom-minded. We're kingdom-minded. Kingdom-minded says, I will choose unity over my opinion. That's what being kingdom-minded is. Because as goodness is welling up inside of us, and goodness is coming out of us, then being kingdom-minded says, I will choose unity over my opinion. We're in this together, and disagreement is not going to turn to disunity. If you're with me, say amen. Verse 10, last two verses. It gets even rougher, if you can believe it. Verse 10, If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. For people like that have turned away from the truth, and their own sins condemn them. So there is baseball in the Bible. Three strikes and you're out. Shh. Gone. Man, what a, what a standard that is. So really, the, the only, the, one of the few things, I guess, that's above unity is the truth. And if the, and if the truth is that there is, if there's someone causing divisions, you've got to talk about it. Turned away from the truth and their own sins, condemn them. I want us to have, that, that's, man, that's been my prayer for the church for the past couple weeks now, that we have a goodness culture, a goodness culture inside of us where we love each other, we forgive each other, we have grace with each other. From time to time, we're going to challenge each other, and we're going to be direct with each other, but it's going to be from the heart of love and grace, amen? It has to come from there. It has to come from love and grace, and then we tell the truth and we help, and we direct, and we guide, and we walk alongside. That's a goodness culture, and that's staying kingdom-minded. I want to live, I want to be in a church with a goodness culture. Like you talked about earlier, about being humble, being good, being gentle. Last verse, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. We talked about, we looked at Philippians 2 last week or last uh, Wednesday, excuse me. And, and after reading it, and after our discussion on Wednesday night, I thought, I, I've, I've got to add it. I've got to add it to my sermon. Because it's just so good. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence. That's integrity. Acting good, acting right, whether Paul's there or not. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What that means is, work out your salvation. That means that your faith is a theory until it's tested. Okay, So you have this idea that you want to do good, that you want to do right, that you want to react with love and kindness, not hatred and meanness and all this. Okay, Then get out there and work it out. Okay, You want to show love and kindness to someone who is not loving and kind? Then go out there and hang out with someone who is not loving and kind and show them loving kindness. That's work out your salvation. Means give it a test. When you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, verse 13, for it is God who works in you and will, or, I'm sorry, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It's not us. It's not us and we just try real hard to act good. And we'll be able to do it sometimes. When we get closer to the Lord, His goodness fills us up. His goodness fills us up. And then we are able to work to fulfill His good purpose. Amen? That's how we do it. We spend time with the Lord in His presence. And the more that God fills us up, the good things that we begin to do. If you would stand with me this morning, we're going to go into a time of prayer, and I want to ask everyone, here in just a minute, we're going to find a place to pray, and say, God, where is this in me? It's a, it's a, it's a simple question, but it, it, it's a question that, that I ask myself often, and we've got to ask ourselves often, by the way, not just on Sunday mornings, but it's this question of, is your goodness filling up my life? Am am I, do I revert back to acting this way? Or do I move over, am I moving in this direction right here? And I I want you to ask the Lord that. It's a tough question. But I want us to have this culture of talking to the Lord. When we come to the house of God, every time, we're going to worship the Lord. We're going to hear the word of God. And then I want to give you the opportunity to talk to God. Not just listen to someone pray. I want you to talk to God. So I ask them the question, God, is this me? Where is this me? Where in my life am I choosing to react this way or to do these things instead of relying on the goodness and the righteousness that you bring? Where in my heart and my life do I need your goodness to just overwhelm me? Overwhelm me. So I want you to find a place to pray. And pray that prayer. And then we'll worship the Lord together. One, two, three, go. Find a place to pray. If that's here at the altar, these altars are always open. But I want us all to find a place to pray. God, where do I need your goodness? Where am I lacking in this? Where's my blind spot? And so ask the Lord what to do. And then just say, thank you for your goodness. Maybe just say a thank you for your goodness. Let's all pray today that we'd be kingdom-minded this morning. Thankful for the Lord this morning for His goodness. I uh, I get a sense that there's someone here today still very resistant. Um, maybe something that happened in the past, or I, I I don't know. You're resistant to His goodness. Maybe you, you don't quite believe it, or or think it's real or it can't be as good as everybody says or the way the preacher makes it but can I just say taste and see that the Lord is good taste and see that the Lord is good he's good he's he's not trapping you and and, going to do something else later he's good he's good trust him. And he loves you so much. And he's going to keep loving you as well. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness in our lives. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for a a, a chance at goodness, a chance that very honestly we do not deserve but Lord you give us your goodness anyway and that goodness is it's running after us it's running after us Lord so help us Lord to not lean on our own goodness or our own righteousness but to lean on yours God to lean on yours God and to change us change us Lord From the inside out. And we thank you for it, Lord. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you, Jesus. For you are worthy of praise. God, I pray that you would send us out and that we would show your goodness and your righteousness to the world around us. Those at home, to those in our neighborhood, at our school, at our job. I pray that your goodness would fill us to the point that we overflow with goodness to others. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.